Welcome to the Immigrant Finance Podcast, a show dedicated to everything money, online business, and immigration, because immigrant families deserve to build generational wealth too. I'm your host, Adina, social entrepreneur, immigration attorney, and financial educator and coach for immigrant families. I created the Immigrant Finance Platform with my husband, Mauricio, who immigrated to the U.S. eight years ago after we struggled through the whole process of trying to figure out finances as an immigrant family alone. We wanted to share what we learned about building wealth with others along the way and created the Immigrant Finance School Group Coaching Program where we teach immigrants and their families like you how to manage their money, get started investing, and build online businesses in just weeks, all with group accountability and support. Our clients have been able to get started investing and develop lifelong plans to build generational wealth regardless of their immigration status actually launched an online business they've been dreaming of starting for years, bring in enough income to leave a job with a shitty boss, and book up their calendar for the rest of the month just after announcing their new coaching business. I'm coming to you with a new show several times a week with stories about online business lessons, money and mindset insights, and guest interviews to help you become financially empowered. Each episode will switch between personal finance and online business topics. Now let's get to this week's episode. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Immigrant Finance Podcast. I'm Adina and I'm here today with our guest Oscar Romero who is going to be speaking to us all about his incredible experiences as a software engineer, as an advocate, the voting rights work he does, um, and lots of amazing advocacy for the immigrant community. So welcome Oscar, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. I think I'm super excited to be on the podcast and to be able to share with uh, the audience anything that I have come across and that can be beneficial to the group. Absolutely. We, we appreciate that and you taking the time. Um, so I'll I'll turn over to you to give a, a better uh, intro on your background and, um, you know, anything you want to highlight. And then we'd love to hear a little bit to start off, you know, what your connection is to immigration issues. Yeah, no. Uh, so long story short, as, as short as it can be, I think um, it's been quite a journey thinking back to uh, the story that my parents told me, because I can't remember vividly the moment in time when this happened. But I was four years old when I came to the U.S. from Mexico. And, you know, similar to a lot of families, we we wanted um, oh, my parents wanted to pursue a distinct narrative to what they were kind of living through in Mexico at the time, which is the challenges and uh, my dad came uh, under a contract to the States for uh, tobacco farm work and just saw that there were the opportunities in, in the U.S. were a little bit um, distinctly uh, better for a family that he envisioned having. And just uh, that decision was made. And I came along uh, grew up in eastern North Carolina my whole life. And I got to the point of being 14, 15. So I think a lot of um, people that were undocumented realized uh we can't get a driver's license in North Carolina because of the lack of, of a social security number. We can't get, um, you know, a work permit at the age of 15 to start working as a teenager. And so those moments were very pivotal in my life to realize how much of, you know, I felt as a normal child for the most part, I still lacked a lot of the, the American pop culture trivia knowledge just because my family at home was in, in um, teaching me more of the Mexican pop culture, probably of what they grew up with and just, 
uh, you know, listening to Vicente Fernandez growing up, listening to Los Temerarios, you know, all the stereotypical kind of memes that you might see in some way or another may have applied to me at one point. So it was it was quite a journey to realize that in my teenage years and immigration came top of mind um, really at that point as, as I was developing as a, a growing, um, you know, a teenager and, into this opportunity of what it looked like to go into higher education. Um, since that moment, I realized my journey would be a little bit different. Uh, thankfully, in my uh, senior year or right before my senior year, I had been an advocate for the DREAM Act back in 2012 when it was going through Congress. It uh, didn't make it through. Um, that uh, you know made the Obama administration pass what's known now today as Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, also known as DACA. And so since then, I've benefited greatly to have an opportunity to go through a scholarship program called Gondor Scholars, which my wife now serves as a program manager at, and to have that full ride scholarship uh, to take me into UNC Charlotte, where I graduated with a math major, computer engineering minor, and have made that into a career in computer um, software development. So it's been quite the journey again, but my relationship is still that, you know, my, my title today includes many hats. Uh, most of them being around tech, but also that I'm a first-generation immigrant, first-generation college uh, graduate, as well as uh, I, I like to phrase it as an undocumented Mexican-American because I am more um, a mixture of all three identities and I am a single one. Thank you so much for sharing that background and and you know what resonates for you as your identity. I think that's helpful for people to hear and, and hear you claim that, you know, regardless of like what the system has told you your identity is. Um, amazing that, that what you have been able to build too from those experiences. And before we go into a little bit about all the amazing work you're doing and what you've built online, I'm just curious, how do you think your life would have looked like if you hadn't been able to benefit from, from DACA or for getting this scholarship? It's quite the question, let me tell you, because I think right around that, uh, going into that senior year, we, me and my dad were actually talking about opportunities of them staying here in the States, me going back to Mexico, possibly pursuing my higher education completely there or getting a student visa after going through school in Mexico for a couple of years to come back to the States under that student visa. Uh, so I think the biggest drawback to that wouldn't have been the opportunities that we were pursuing, but really the lack of having my family near me, right? The the family that's been such a huge support group for for me and my siblings, uh, not being able to have them close to me, I think is one of the biggest drawbacks of considering uh, being an undocumented individual in the States of like, well, how can I fix my status as people tell us like, you know, why aren't you just fixing your status? The, the challenge behind it is people might not have a legal port of entry, people are not, might not. And, you know, that that changes drastically the moment where someone previous to DACA or after DACA now, because DACA has no longer encompass most of what people consider the young dreamers anymore. Um, it's barring several from being to apply and now it doesn't even encompass any that arrives later down the road for whatever means. Uh, it's just something that's, I don't know, you know, th it is a, a blessing to have a family that's really close knit, but, and then it's kind of a curse of thinking, how do I leave that close knit family now? You know, how do I leave that to change my status, to adjust that status if there's no pathway within the United States to follow that? Uh, so it's 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 a myriad of of kind of questions and doubts that immediately entered my head, even as a you know, having to contemplate these ideas as a 17 year old teenager. I 
I could only encompass so much of what I thought would happen from that. You know, it was, it was now looking back, it's just so much that could have happened differently. Yeah. And such a pivotal time in your life when you're just like trying to figure out how to be a human and like what you want to do and, um, and then have to deal with all of these systemic and legal issues and making your decisions. It's, it's so much that dreamers have had to go through and, uh, that's why often I see it's like some of the most brave people out there, really, because you all have been through a lot and survived a lot. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful we've had that program. It's not enough. Right. Um, we need no. so much more. But like, look what it's look what it's done for your life, like you just described. And um, back to becoming the is, is it software engineer? Is that correct to say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so when you were kind of figuring that out in the beginning, did you ever think you'd end up mixing that with immigrant rights advocacy work? Not at all. I, I <laughs> uh, you know, I, I didn't I think really, so. <laughs> no, and if, if I could have told you that, uh, you know, I think I think I would have taken different steps in my life to, to get to that quicker. Um, mm. But just thinking about it, you know, I think back a lot to this pivotal question that was asked during the scholarship. Um, interviews back in 2012 you know i'm sitting in this room in this amazing office space at red ventures the company where the ceo that sponsored uh, the, this this scholarship program back then um you know and one of the questions was what do you see yourself doing in five ten years you know the, the typical question that gets asked in some interviews of like where do you see your life in five ten years and i i think my answer really did encompass uh, broadly enough what I may have turned it into um, my answer wasn't specific because i didn't know if i wanted to be a doctor i didn't know i didn't know any context around what i wanted to do but my answer to them at the point was it, it literally started off with i don't know but i would know i want to be doing something to help the community to you know move the mission forward and to help people have a better quality of life and you know that's that is definitely paraphrased from what the 17 year old teenager probably answered but in that context was what i was uh trying to perceive and i think you know, looking back, I, I haven't, uh, you know, it'll be um, a decade now going from that opportunity when I started interviewing for that to to now. And, you know, I, I would not have been able to tell you that that th this is what it would have turned into. Yeah, oh, my goodness. OK, so what what led to, you know, what you're doing now? I guess it was the first thing that kind of pushed you a little bit outside of the traditional software engineer box that you know, kind of led to you starting all this amazing work you're doing in the online space. And yeah, tell us so, more about, yeah, what you're doing. Yeah. 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 So um, now, you know, today I, I've been out of a software development bootcamp back in 2018 that was mirrored off of the parent company of Gondor Scholars or a parent nonprofit um, called Road to Hire. And so Road to Hire has taken uh, several approaches starting from high school to people that are between the ages of 18 to 25 to help essentially provide a pathway forward into a more sustainable career. Um, and at the time they were doing a boot camp that was uh, to educate people on how to become software developers. And they had partnerships with companies like Red Ventures, starting to form partnerships with Bank of America, Novant, several different large companies in the Charlotte uh, metro area that would then hire these students after completing the boot camp. So kind of like going to scholars where they didn't just provide money and send you off to school and wish you the best of luck. They provided a whole uh, program around mentoring you, um, keeping up with you, seeing what internships you were getting, helping you get those. Um, it's the same thing with the Road to Hire Bootcamp. And so in 2018, the company mirrored a similar 
um, coding bootcamp internally for employees. And I had been working at Red Ventures for a year and a half as a help desk technician in the help desk um, to supporting individuals. And I knew I wanted to gravitate towards computers right after college, but I hadn't had the traditional path in college to do computer science. I had kind of jumped around uh, trying mechanical engineering at first to realize I didn't like physics. Um, and then I just had two years of, of paid scholarship, um, you know, time at school. So I just decided to finish off a major in mathematics with a computer engineering minor, starting to explore that more. And, you know, I figured I'd figure out the rest of it once I got out. Um, and so through the boot camp, I completed it in 2018. It was a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of hours on top of my full-time job. Um, but October, 2018, I finished it and got it placed into a team at Red Venture to start, you know, actually being a, a professional software entry level software engineer. Um, and since then, you know, my, my transition into a new company where I've worked at as a consultant, uh, software developer, um, has only been empowered by the decisions taken by Red Ventures that they put me on several projects, uh, you know, very fast paced environment that helped me pick up a lot of great skills. And now more so as well in the past eight months. And I've actually like, um, I think I was telling you uh, earlier about accepting an opportunity that's officially now in the actual civic engagement space, because I've been dreaming about that since 2020 of being able to help uh, form these digital tools that are necessary to continue to enhance our democracy in, in the states, you know, while I might not be on, you know, in pen and paper, uh, a US citizen or an American, I've come to realize with, with all the advocacy work that DACA has empowered me to, to lose a little bit of the fear and to feel a little bit more protected of, you know, not fearing immediate deportation, not fearing all these issues that um, several immigrants have to face day to day has empowered me to know that there's a privilege behind that to use that for, for even more advocacy. And since 2020, I was, you know, out knocking doors, helping um, spread the word of uh, electing specific candidates um, into office. And and I just saw an opportunity to mix that with technology after being uh, a software developer for two years at that point. And since then, I've been fascinated with this idea and to be able to have this opportunity now in, in the civic engagement space and developing an application that's going to help um, relational organizing, um, you know, connect with people, keep up with those, facilitate all those workings that uh, people are trying to do in organizing campaigns. Sorry, I mean, it was so incredible. Um, I could hear your whole voice change when you started talking about it, when you went from like <laughs> talking about the first software engineer type of work to now applying it to something you're really passionate about. It's incredible. Um, I love when I see people, you know, using their hard skills in a way that they can make an impact. And, and so how did you first kind of get interested in voter engagement specifically and, and also help people in our audience understand like why is voter engagement important? Why is voting so important specifically for immigrants rights and the movement for dreamers too? Yeah, so I, I know that probably subconsciously you know, when I was watching the decision about DACA or not DACA, um, the DREAM Act in 2012 happen, I, at that point, I'd been realizing that there was a lot happening that we as immigrants without um, any control over being able to vote, um, we were missing out on controlling our futures because those decisions that are being made in Congress, those decisions that are being made in our state, in our local government are powered by people that either do vote or people that choose to not vote. And while there's, you know, different things we could get into in, in how people can vote, uh, the ease of voting, you know, the availability of having time from your job to vote. There's so many variables, I think, that to me, digital tooling 
has become a way to facilitate that, especially how connected we are now to different people. And uh, the biggest aspect of specifically to relational organizing is that while I specifically couldn't bow an, uh, an angle that I took in 2020 to, to um, you know, advocate with my siblings, my uh, um, family that could vote was that I took that relational organizing aspect. I was just calling siblings, cousins up and down, left and right, that I knew um, would pay more attention to me than a stranger knocking on their door simply because they, you know, I'm one of the older um, cousins and siblings of my family. And so they, they look to me as an example of pursuing a college education, but I think it doesn't end there. You know, I, I will continue to hopefully serve as a role model to them and to others that are looking for for some, somewhere to look to. And I might not be perfect, but the things that I can do is while I can't vote, I can definitely help people uh, be educated on who they, they choose to vote for. Uh, you know, my my decision with this isn't at the end of the day to convince you exactly to vote the same way that I would if I could, but rather to to empower you to, to help you decide who you want to go based on your values and morals and also considering those around you because voting inherently may seem selfish when you're putting one ballot in for you, with your name on it but it's very selfless act where you're going in and you're considering the state of the nation the state of your your uh, local government your state government and you know you're doing it for uh you know in hopes of improving uh, society that's around you because it's about your neighbors it's about your family that's being impacted by all these changes i couldn't agree more and um oh i want to dork out so much about all this with you but like <laughs> just my, a little bit of my take it how i relate to your mission and what we're doing in immigrant finance to yeah. connect the dots is like for me as a immigration lawyer i you know run up as against the laws every day and i know how inhumane and violent and harsh they are and need to be changed and i also know how nearly impossible it is for them to change and it right. like all goes back to voting right because the people who are voting have the power to change who's in power that who changes those yes. laws right and then how do we get the right how do we get people to be voting to have their voice heard if they don't have the ability to vote because they're immigrants right so it's like this cycle and for me the more i think about it it always comes back to money and finance because yes. at the end of the day who are the people who control power in this country it's people with money Right. And so that's actually a huge driver behind what yeah. we do in immigrant finance is like we need to see this community have at least financial stability, but right. also be building wealth because this is going to change the dynamic of who, what the laws say of who can vote and then who is in power and what the the votes uh, yes. go toward. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. What are your yeah, thoughts no. on all that? 100 percent agree. And I think the. The way that I also kind of uh, think about it, um, especially in the past year, um, getting uh, really involved as well in the climate change space to help mitigate a lot of the um, issues that are happening with that, help improve our trajectory with that, was that as I thought about actions I could take on uh, to help mitigate you know, climate change, I realized that's a huge privilege to be able to even consider how to mitigate it, how to you know change from buying single-use plastics to something else. And while I was trying to influence my family, I realized that the the cost of it is a huge deterrent, right? You know, they're worried about living just paycheck to paycheck sometimes where 
they're not concerned about what kind of things they're purchasing at the store. They're just kind of buying what's, uh, you know, most uh, efficient, most economic, most affordable to, to get their lives ahead. And they're spending most of the day, you know, working their long jobs, sometimes two jobs just to get ahead. And considering that that's a privilege, you know, again, to your, your point of uh, immigrant finance is a power because the moment they can get out of kind of that constant cycle of just, you know, barely, barely staying afloat, they can consider more of the opportunities and engagements that they can do in their communities and their societies, right? right? Um, once you consider that you empower an individual to have a better state of mental health as well by improving their, uh, you know, their, their financial situation, they can consider more um, outliers that they can then bring into their circle of what I call your, like your circle of of uh, concern, control, what you can control, you know, if, if your circle is limited to just living and, and staying afloat, you're not concerned about many other things. The moment you have that stability, uh, you know, that career stability, be it, be it the job or just financial stability, you can start considering other things, you know, be it climate change, be it voting, uh, civic engagement with your community because civic engagement doesn't only encompass voting it encompasses going to your local town hall and making uh demands of your local government to put sidewalks somewhere put other things you know and our families for one have the deterrent typically uh of not being able to express their emotion in uh, english in the states and so when they do want something like that even if it's as simple as like hey we want a bus stop at the corner of you know the trailer park where i grew up didn't uh you know really have a formal bus stop and then coming to the cities and seeing those more formalized i was like oh that's very interesting but you know nobody in that migrant community that moved a lot would have ever gone to the local government to demand that a more formal bus stop or a sidewalk across the road you know they're very rural roads so thankfully they're not as needed but just those demands and civic engagement uh heavily deter like you said who has the power to control their future um with that said there's still going to be a lot of people that can't vote because of being first gen immigrants, second gen immigrants that still are maybe on a different or not second gen, um, but first gen immigrants that are here um, without official documentation of being a US citizen to vote. And one of the, the avenues I've been approaching it from is how can I, as a first generation immigrant from Mexico, still vote in Mexico? Because there are, uh, you know, motions and abilities to go through to have that power to vote if it's even just at the national level. Um, but looking at other countries, how can we control that civic engagement through, um, you know, um, mailing ballots um, and different actions that we can take? Because at the end of the day, those countries will only get better if we also, um, you know, dictate what we want from our nations and countries of origin. Thank you so much for articulating that in such an eloquent way for, for people to hear about, you know, ways they can really empower themselves, even if they can't vote. So you just talked about like, advocating to your local government for that yeah. but uh, bus stop is an example i mean you don't need to have citizenship to do something like that right um and voting in your home country like i i love it because these are ways i think uh, your identity can start to change when you yeah. think of the ways you can have power and influence uh, mm -hmm. whether it's just talking to your family members like you've been doing and you're such a great example of this as someone who is not able to vote all of the ways you have found to make an impact um, on civic engagement and and all of this. So I, I really uh, appreciate you like encouraging people to think about it. I'm also thinking about one of our um, students and members of our community who also is such a great example of this, you know, before she started working on her finances, she was really struggling. And, and when you're in that situation, it's like, it takes over yeah. your whole world, right? 
Um, I know we've been there when we were struggling a lot with finances when my right. husband immigrated here. It's like, you can't even think beyond tomorrow. How mm -hmm. can you think about, right, like civic engagement stuff? But now that she has her finances really strong and she started a business, she's working for herself. She does so much activism work now. Like she's yeah. constantly, um, you know, volunteering and helping people in her community, like doing pro bono work for folks. That's awesome. um, she was on a panel speaking about immigrants' rights, you know, and she's now like a local like public speaker. And it's, this was all a change that happened in about a year. Wow. Just from getting strong with her finances. So yeah. um, I really, really appreciate, again, you drawing this out for people. And can you tell us a little bit more about, like, for someone who is maybe afraid to get more involved or they believe that their voice doesn't matter, what would you say to them? I think that's the biggest thing to overcome, especially being an immigrant where I, I relate this to my parents and how they shared stories about the first time they were, you know, even at a fast food place trying to order food, their voice was completely actually taken away because they didn't know the language, right? Even starting from that point, uh, they had to point to things on the screen in order to get their message across. And being immigrants in a nation that kind of, you know, sh uh, shuts you out in that perspective of having to learn language, uh, you know, and there's nothing wrong with not knowing a language. You know, you come across several people that aren't bilingual at all, and you know, they only see it from a perspective that maybe their language is the predominant one, so they're okay. But looking at it from the inverse side, losing that voice and that power and making families afraid, I think, is the first biggest issue in, in you know, any country where immigrants come to. Right. I think there's a lot of lack of support in all sorts of immigration, um, not even in the, just in the States, but everywhere else that that needs to improve as, as we we can't just be a global society that only accepts people from our specific nation, from our specific background into our country. Um, so looking at it from the lens of losing your voice, it's totally understandable that people are afraid. People think that their voice doesn't matter. Um, and overcoming that is going to take several several years of um, both a mixture of organizing, a mixture of our nation and other nations showing that they care for these voices that have been uh, shut down by doing efforts like targeting those specific communities and showing them through individual uh, as much individualized support as possible that they have ways to get to you know the town hall to get to local government to not be afraid of these public services that are public you know they aren't the the service of a private community the first thing that comes to mind is just growing up with such a fear of the moment we saw a police officer on the road there was that innate fear of like oh my gosh if i get pulled over there's going to be a 200 ticket minimum tying that back to finance you know you're afraid of what that's going to do to your financial stability um so now you fear the police officer that's on the street likely just protecting and, and helping serve there's certain situations that have um, you know, not happen in that general sense, but the idea was to have them in that public service role. Uh, and then you think about firefighters, you know, I never interact with a fighter fire outside of just going and seeing a fire truck. And that's, you know, one example of an activity of how you kind of start getting people to, to be okay, interacting with those public services and giving that voice back. And the moment you talk to a firefighter and tell them, you know, maybe it sparks an interest that you want to be a firefighter one day. And so then you feel like that, that to you is an important fact of life now. 
So these experiences that we need to expose immigrants to are necessary for them to captivate that that motion of my voice does matter. My voice is important to me. That kind of happened with DACA, right, where it, it was Obama administration acknowledging even in Obama's speech that these are people that grew up in the states that for lack of just a paper piece of paper uh, says that they're not us uh, you know citizens or, or uh, people of this country but he it turned turned that around and said that he acknowledged us as such and so that was the first empowerment for me and the first experience with a public service role as big as you know the president's role that kind of accepted me in and you know i was shedding tears that day i heard that just from that excitement of being heard so it's it's going to take a lot of that but I think the moment people can kind of come to terms of realizing just that self-love, that self-appreciation of oneself, that's, I think, the first motion to do it on your own of really seeing that your voice, for one, does matter in what you do in your life. And I think you probably advocate in similar uh, with finance of saying that you have control over what you choose to do with your money. Um, and having that control ends up leading to more empowerment of oneself. Uh, so through that, that lens, it might take a while, but I think people can come to terms with different actions from the government that will help uh, promote that more. Damn, that was genius. <laughs> you know, the, I, I'm, oh my God, I, I'm laughing because um, I, I encountered, you learned about your Oscar from Kevin because you're on Kevin's yeah. podcast. And when I interviewed Kevin for ours, there was also this moment in the podcast where I was just like, damn, drop the mic, Kevin. <laughs> it doesn't hilarious. happen all Kevin the time. Awesome. But <laughs> that was so brilliant. I mean, how you connected on a global level the need for immigrants across countries yeah. to stand up and feel heard and for countries to recognize that to the local level with the fireman. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's super profound. I mean, I we actually just had the irs come talk to our community yesterday yeah. and i was reflecting on this a lot last night what you're kind of alluding to of like just normalizing it and having them in the same room and having you know when you think of the irs it's like this really scary thing people freak out they get yeah. intimidated they're like oh my god i'm gonna be put in jail if i don't pay my taxes right. or are they you know i'm afraid to because they're gonna share my information or whatever yeah. And to just have a couple of normal people talking, going through the tax laws and be like, no, we are legally forbidden from sharing anyone's information with any government agency, including right. ICE. Right. Like it was so powerful. So I completely agree with you that we need to have people in those rooms and have those conversations mm -hmm. and, and, and see that they um, have a right to be served right. by the public resources, regardless of their status is important. And it, it really does start with the inner work and the self-love that you talked about. Yeah. Um, you know, example, I, I love to encourage our students with in the beginning is like, just taking that act of like calling your bank when you get a fee you don't know, and just asking what is this yeah. fee for? And like, you know, is there any way you can reverse it? That little act is just, a simple way you can start stepping into being an advocate for yourself right yeah. and it starts there um so yeah i i really appreciate everything you just laid out and yeah i, I want to hear more about um the website you've built too for undocumented folks and like how does uh, that relate and play in with all of the voting rights work and civic engagement 
Yeah. So back in 2019, at the beginning, after having been in a couple of months in my role as a software developer, um, you know, being able to, I grew up not being much of um, uh, a creative artist on paper. Uh, I still find myself being quite creative mentally in, in envisioning new tools and apps. You know, creativity takes a different aspect depending on, on your medium, right? Your medium can be digital, your medium can be physical. And while physical was never my forte, uh, I took this into the digital aspect that I still had this vision and goal of saying, you know, for one, I wanted to create a portfolio website for myself because I knew that was important as I grew as a developer. And I took a stab at that and it was it was okay. It was great uh, experience for me to learn how to do a website. I've since reiterated on it. And I think the biggest thing uh, that I've learned from technology that I can, that I choose to apply in my life. And I think people can definitely choose to do this, even if they're not in tech is that iteration process. You know, something doesn't have to be perfect the moment you create it on day one, it can change on day two. And we as people are doing that. And uh, that's one of the biggest analogies that I've had of looking at my trajectory that's very untraditional in regards to not going to computer science, not maybe starting a software development career and changing in my career into the projects I do is that I, I assimilate it to, um, being on a playground, right? When we're kids, it's just that innate curiosity of going to the slide. Maybe you want to try the swings after five minutes and going back to the slide afterwards, or maybe you want to try the monkey bars and just kind of iterating and changing what you want to do on this uh, playground. I, I I challenged myself to think as a little kid of saying, what is the next thing I want to go and, and you know, have fun with versus uh, what's the next thing that maybe makes me feel like I've made a mistake. You know, that's, that's a different mentality that I try to keep out of so that I can continue to iterate on myself and, and the different projects I have. Um, to, to the question you asked about how I got involved with my website. So that iteration process kind of kicked in in 2019 where um, now I wanted to make another website and I was uh, fascinated by Humans of New York, right? If anyone has come across that, they'll see how, how impressive it is just to have a quick uh, little picture, a uh, little bit of words of people. And I think it ties it back even with the example of the IRS of humanizing uh, each other, right? Making everyone seem like we are the humans that we internally are right now you'll see the irs office building and that scares you you walk in and you realize they have the same concerns as people you know they're th they're thinking about their children they're thinking about their parents they're thinking about all these things that we as humans um will all, all, all experience in one way or another of thinking of a loved one or being concerned for something that you have um looking forward maybe a competition you know we share these emotions in in different ways and that humanizing aspect i think is so crucial to to becoming a nation that's more accepting of each neighbor right your neighbor might look um completely different from you but at the end of the day their emotions are particularly probably the same um in in different instances and because i had that emotion i started to think about Humans of New York is amazing. How can we do this more so for the immigrant stories that I hear about, that I grew up listening to, that, you know, we don't have a voice outside of the media's agenda trying to push something forward on the platform of politics. And and this idea started coming out of like uh, immigrant humans or, uh, you know, the naming, I think, is, is the bane of any developer's existence because naming is not something we easily come across. And so we always struggle with what to name something. And at the end of it, um, I just realized that in order to convince people to tell me about their stories, it had to start with me. I had to show that I was uh, brave or willing enough to share my narrative first. And so that turned into, well, this platform is going to be for people that want to share their undocumented life stories, be it related to undocumented, be it that they are, you know, are a teacher that, uh, you know, but the, the undocumented life journey. And so I, I ended up landing on my undocumented life. 
um, come to learn, you know, Undocu, undocumented is a very typical name in this space. So there's a lot of websites that you might encompass out there um, that I think is, is beautiful. That's forming in this is narrative of the internet that we can now see more platforms like that come up with that that word. You know, that, that word is now becoming more of a powerful word versus a, a fearful word, right? You, you, typically, growing up, you don't want to tell anyone you're undocumented. You don't want to tell your friends because for fear they'll see you differently. And so putting that word into a, a naming and being so uh, bold with it, I think is such an empowering tool to to strip that fear away from, from a, a word that just it signifies your circumstance. It doesn't mean who you are. It's simply out of circumstance of what ended up happening to, to get you to that point. Um, so I built this website and I, sh I started off by sharing my narrative. And then I started asking um, friends and people that I came across to share their narratives, to share about uh, their stories without fear of having uh, a direct agenda that they had to share about. And so this platform has become a website where anyone can, you know, potentially um, cultivate something that they want to share about, be it their specific narrative or something about their lives. Uh, most recently, one of the contributors to to the blog site uh, wrote about growing up, what it, what it was like to grow up with immigrant parents, right? Not only is, is our narrative tied to oneself's journey, but also those around us. And so it's very impactful to see these narratives come out without thinking that we have to write this in a specific way so that Congressman X or Congresswoman Y needs to hear it. You know, it's just about expressing and, and letting out those sentiments in our own words for the world to see, to to captivate our, you know, our stamp in history that we so like our, our footprint on this world is so large that we need to to have historical reference to those moments. It's, it's so brave what you've created and what you've been willing to do to put yourself out there to be an example for others um, and to help normalize talking about being undocumented. I, I agree. It's amazing to see all these websites. And I, I really like your point of like, not just for the sake of advocating to Congress, like it's for the sake right. of just sharing the stories, right? Because yeah. we need that alone. Um, and I often see in immigration law immigration advocacy space it can be like so contrived how to like mm -hmm. find the most squeaky clean story of someone yeah. with no criminal convictions or whatever you know to to make it um i don't know try to humanize but that's that's not how humans are humans are complicated mm -hmm. we're not perfect and right. we need people to see all sides so thank you for doing that work to share stories and encourage others i, I think that's the number one thing it comes down to with making change is, is the humanizing. Um, of course. And you've clearly thought really deeply about how to make these changes through the voting work, the civic engagement, sharing the stories. So I guess, um, what are you kind of hoping for the future? What if you could, you know, if you could have all this turn out in any way you want in the next 10 years, what would it look like? There's a lot to do in 10 years. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I think really the, the beauty of it all that I really anticipate is for one, leaving leaving in a legacy that, that empowers people to have that voice for whatever it is that they're pursuing, yeah. right? To, to have a voice in their narratives. Um, I think people have lost track of whenever they share with, with the media that they're essentially giving permission into their lives. And that comes with having control over your voice. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think with platforms like the one I'm creating, with platforms that I'm hoping to work on with, with amazing people like the Empower Project to 
facilitate relational organizing, I think my end goal within the next two years is really going to be about seeing that change in people when you knock on their door, realize we're here to do something amazing, right? I think even right now to this day with US citizens, when you show up at their door, trying to advocate to them about voting and, and having that control over dictating what their government will do for them, is it's it's been it's been it's been lost. People don't have that confidence, and it's very sad because at the end of the day, this government wasn't made for you know the big players that are controlling a lot of the money. It was made to serve the people, mm-hmm. and so being able to recaptivate that, be it people that are undocumented, people that um, you know maybe permanent residents but don't have yet the right to vote, people that are U.S. citizens that have lost hope in that system. I think that's going to be recapturing their voice in the next ten years to advocate for the needs that we have, be it in climate justice in immigrant yeah. reform, in uh, financial redistribution of, of wealth to, to have that power back in the general people and, and the body that controls what this nation was meant to be, you know, a diverse set of people working together to, to create a, a beautiful and fabulous country. And I think that's exactly one of the many reasons that dreamers are so important in their vision, because what you are just articulated is a vision of this country of what it could be that we do not have that many people believe is not possible. So how have you like held on to the hope and believing in the system and to continue waking up and do, do this work every day, building how things should be? That's a, that's a very, I guess, it's a question that's troublesome to think about sometimes of really truly asking myself, why do I do this? Right. Why do I keep this uh, optimistic mentality? How is it that it keeps going? Because, I mean, the challenges that I've had to face both growing up and in circumstances that were very um, comparatively to most people that did suffer heavily. I was very blessed that we had a roof over our heads. We had food on our table. Um, but there were still challenges of fearing for my parents' livelihoods. You know, would they come home safe? Would they not be deported that day? Would they still have their job? Would their employer find out, you know, that they have something on their record, you know, and, and having to deal with going to clinics, translating for my parents, then having chronic health issues at this point out of the blue-collar jobs they've had to do and all the laborious intensive jobs they've had to work. And hearing their stories and what it's come to and and then hitting my own barriers right not being able to potentially afford higher education going through college and college isn't you know an easy track college is challenging college pushes you to a lot of your limits as a young adult that's developing and and then going into the real world as people like to reference you know this uh, world of jobs that is very confusing benefits don't make any sense sometimes and you're traversing all of this being a first generation um, white collar uh, employee you know I can't reference I can't really talk to my parents about hey dad they're telling me you know I'm going to get this benefit over that benefit on this company and he's gonna be like I mean that sounds great because he hasn't had any health medical or dental insurance himself or 401k plans and the most he can give me is you know do the research kind of understand my mom will be there for support but all these barriers and challenges would would lead someone to believe that my optimism would have floundered at some point, given given how many obstacles happen to people. My only, you know, wind beneath my wings that really keeps me afloat is is that love and support that I get from my parents, from my siblings, from my uh, you know my my cousins and and family members that have been there 
hoping for our family to to get ahead to move ahead and and i've seen this vision that to do that at scale not just for my family means that i have to be engaged with uh voter turnout civic engagement all these other things that might seem um you know unrelated to an immigrant story being that we can't vote but it's super correlated to what you know we're going to be able to do with immigration reform in the future and that solution might look blue might look red however color we are politically it's gonna it's gonna take action you know no matter which color you're behind which ideology you're behind if you don't act that ideology or mentality will never be executed uh so i i think i see it from the you know the love and support that i have for my for my wife for my support group the people around me is that what brings me that optimism that hope that my parents shared for me to have a better future it's it's a dream that is so hard to to let just you know let just go so that that's why i remain positive that if we act today tomorrow will be better this is one of the main reasons why immigrants make this country what it is <laughs> and have always done right to have that vision of things being better um it it takes a very brave rare person to leave everything they know and their family and yeah. their culture and their language and their comfort zone for the possibility that's not guaranteed of something better and that's what your parents did and that's what you continue to do with this work. So thank you for all your work you're doing and staying positive and holding on to that because all of the people not from uh, more recent immigrant families, you know, we need that energy to keep going, um, to keep building this country yeah. to be what it could be. So thank you. And a final question for you is, um, you know, when it comes to finance or building an online platform, what would be the number one thing you would tell people maybe you wish you heard in the beginning uh, something that i wish i heard in the beginning is that there's a lot of youtube videos out there that will give you a quick one-on-one -on -one rundown that from that little snippet of knowledge you can start learning a lot um you know i've i've explored what investment um looks like what having real estate looks like and it's all been from the power of the internet that i do appreciate there are some things that you need to keep away from and not believe you know the get rich schemes but for the most part the power behind digital tooling and why I'm so you know sold on the idea of providing these tools for nonprofits for organizations involved in empowering you know the, the the people that don't have immediate access to it is that the internet is powerful when used for good and I, I encourage everyone to if they don't have the means to pay for a program the means to seek out a professional that you know I grew up in a very rural area that I probably would have never encountered a professional willing to spend their time talking to me about um you know uh, finance is you know use that same phone that you're using for other means to get you know on gps or whatever to also empower yourself to to realize that you have a lot of wealth of knowledge in your hand um, and if you don't have that ask for your cousin's phone you know I, you, there's so much uh, accessible points now that i think that knowledge is truly the, the way forward and the more you can expose yourself to it even if you pick up a book at the nearest library is to just start um start reading start learning and once you you start finding that network of people that want to talk about more uh financial tips sharing you know uh talking about finance was actually such a huge taboo thing growing up right because there's there's a lot of unfortunate toxicity in communities where they believe the moment they hear that you're either making more or less than someone they're going to look at you differently or they're going to look at you like oh you're a little bit snobby or you know different um 
correlations of thinking that money represents all these identities and it doesn't you know the more that we can talk about wealth and understanding um, why someone may have more money or may not have money that will empower you to seek out either the civic engagement um, you know activism that you need to pursue to get people on the, a level playing field or uh, just another way to uh, create a program like what you have done with the immigrant finance um, uh, uh, organization to, to help empower these individuals to pursue that for themselves. But until we have those conversations, there, there's going to be a lot of, you know, voices that stay silent that won't get the help they need. Couldn't agree more with all that. And yeah, if it wasn't for YouTube, immigrant finance would never have existed yeah. because that's how we figured out not being software engineers how to make a website right and a blog right like so yeah I, I couldn't agree more and libraries were also huge when we couldn't yes. find any financial information that spoke to our experience like we checked out every finance book at the library <laughs> and started piecing things together and talking to people so yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that advice for people and the power of knowledge. And I think the overall theme of this conversation I've gotten from you is really like people stepping into their power and having yes. that self-love to decide, you know, my voice matters and I yeah. deserve to have access to this information um, and, and all that. So thank you so much for sharing your time. Of Where course. can people, um, follow you, engage, check out your website. Yeah, so um, primarily, you know, definitely all the social media handles out of the, the sake for the website promotion. I think uh, marketing is not my forte. So if anyone's interested in helping with marketing, feel free to reach out for that. Um, the the best way you can probably find me is I have a website for my own portfolio that has all my social media handles. We can probably post it um, with the, the blog post at the end of this, but it's just oscarromerojorge.com. Um, Jorge with a J, not with uh, an H, just in case anyone tries to spell it that way. So if you go to that website, you'll find a myriad of the projects that I'm involved in, as well as my social media handles and LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me for any uh, connection um, opportunities, but feel free to message me on the preferred platform that any of y'all have. Wonderful. We will definitely link that below. Um, and I meant to follow up with you, actually, that we do have some folks in our community I spoke to who do want to share their stories on your website. Yeah, so awesome. I will connect them with you today. And yeah, thank you again for all the amazing work you're doing and sharing these insights with our community. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And for having me as well. It's, it's, it's incredible. Like I said, again, just to see the amount of power that we're getting by being able to have these spaces um, owned by us for us. Absolutely. Thanks, Oscar. Have a great rest of, of your day. Thank you. Take you care. too. Thanks so much for listening to the Immigrant Finance Show. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already and leave us a review so we can reach more people to help. Also, did you know we started a free Facebook group for immigrant families who want to build generational wealth? We're doing free monthly trainings covering everything from investing to online business. Plus, you will be in there with a network of other inspiring members of our community. Make sure to join us at facebook.com slash groups slash immigrant finance. And we'll see you there.